Perhaps you're craving for a, 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 a donut, not, not just any donut, but an apple fritter. And not just any apple fritter, from donut dip apple fritter, which are so light and fluffy and delicious and I'm sure good for you. I mean, Mrs. Murphy's apple fritters are good, but they're no donut dip apple fritters. I crave, I thirst for an apple fritter. What is your thirst? What is your soul craving right now? What is it that occupies your thoughts and your minds? In this quarantine, what consumes you? If you could have anything in the world, anything that you think would satisfy you in this day, what would it be? What would you want? Day in and day out, what satisfies you? What is your thirst? I thirst. You thirst. We all thirst for... I know Jody said ice cream. Our Savior thirsts. What does Jesus thirst on the cross? Before we answer that, let's, let's backtrack a little bit and see what he says about thirsting or satisfying our thirst. Jesus encountered the woman at the well in the beginning of his ministry as he goes through the Samaritans. Let's look at John 4, verses 7 through 14. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, part of this story is the, the amazing thing is that ordinarily, right, in, in the middle of uh, right, Galilee and in Jerusalem, in the middle of that is this, uh, this country, this place called Samaria. It's, it's a hill country. And so ordinarily, a Jew would go around because they would have nothing to do with the worship and the people and the uncleanliness of the Samaritans in their mind. But Jesus, the, the quickest route was right through Samaria. But Jesus told his disciples, we're, we're going to go right through Samaria. And so he goes, makes them uneasy. And here it is, two things about a woman speaks to Jesus, and she's a Samarian, and he speaks to her. And what does he ask for? A drink. I want you to notice, though, he never gets this drink in the story. He never, never gets to satisfy his thirst, or at least what we think his thirst is. And then it goes on to say, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, we have nothing to draw water with. You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's a different kind of drink, isn't it? If you knew the gift of God, 
you would not be thirsty. Ever. If you knew what Jesus had to offer, you would never be thirsty. That's the promise. In John 7, 37-39, he goes on in a different story. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus is not yet glorified. Jesus is the thirst quencher. He is not the thirsty one. He knows we are the ones that are thirsty, that we are the ones striving after our vain and empty desires and lots of ways to quench our thirst. But it is never satisfying. He knows that we're pursuing and filling things up that do not fill us and do not satisfy us. And Jesus says to us as his great promise, I will satisfy. I will quench your thirst. Believe in me. Believe in me, and the, the way that this thirst will be satisfied is I will give you my spirit. My Holy Spirit will reside in you, in your heart, the center of everything about you. And from the inside out, I will quench your thirst. I will change you. You will not be the same. I will always be with you. The gift of the Spirit in this time and place, was not given because Jesus has not been glorified. Jesus has not died on the cross yet in this story. Jesus has not been resurrected. He's not been glorified. Not until he conquers death and his resurrection. Then the Spirit will be given to those who believe. The Spirit will tabernacle in our hearts. The Spirit will, will pitch a tent. That's what that word means. The Spirit will move into the neighborhood. The Spirit will reside with us forever. I thirst. You and I thirst. So why does Jesus say on the cross, I thirst? If he is the, if he is the thirst quencher, if he is the one that satisfies, why does Jesus say, I thirst? First, I thirst shows the intensity of Christ's suffering on the cross. Secondly, I thirst shows the expression of the love of God's word on the cross. And third, I thirst is the final act and the final word of obedience on the cross. Why does Jesus say I thirst? Jesus says I thirst to show the intensity of his suffering on the cross. John 19, 28, after this, after this, knowing all that was now finished, said to fill the scripture, I thirst. What is, what is the after this? What is, the, what is it we're referring to? A, a careful study of the scriptures put together and putting the gospels together that most scholars would agree that, that these words, I thirst, come right after what we heard last week in Matthew 27, 46, where Jesus bellows out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
You have to see, Jesus has been on this cross for three hours, and for the most time, he's been silent. But in these last few moments, there's a lot of utterances that come from, a lot of proclamations that come from Jesus. And this, my God, my God, we learned last week, is a, is a mystery, a paradox of this idea of the, the eternal Father forsaking the eternal Son on the cross. This abandonment, this forgetting for a moment this eternal relationship. It makes no sense. It is a ministry. Because Jesus on that cross is the full embodiment of all our humanity. He is the full embodiment of all our sins, of all our treachery. He's taking the full brunt of God's wrath, of God's holiness and His inflexible justice is coming down on him. Our judgment is coming down on Jesus. Separation from the one that satisfies. Separation from the Godhead. As our substitute for humanity, for the first time, Jesus spells out, I thirst. I thirst. What does he thirst for? He thirsts because he's abandoned. He's separated for our sake from the Godhead. This is our punishment. And he cries out because he knows what's in our hearts that we thirst. That we're separated. That's why he's on the cross, to solve this problem. Jesus never performed a miracle that benefited himself. Oh, People asked him all the time. Satan, at the very beginning, asked him to use his own powers to benefit himself. And Jesus said no. And here on the cross, when the soldiers mocked him, the criminals mocked him, they asked him, use your divine authority to save yourself. And he doesn't. You see, what's happening in it is that this intense suffering, there is an outward reality in our suffering of our inward soul. Our emotional reality affects our physical reality. And it's here being demonstrated by Jesus that there is an intense emotional reality. The weight and burden of all our sins, the weight and burden of the wrath of the Father is upon Him. He thirsts. That's a suffering that now becomes into a physical manifestation. He thirsts. You see, this has been a long time since Jesus has had a drink. He was arrested early in the morning and brought to Caiaphas and in his kangaroo court. There was no water there for him to drink. He was in prison. Brought to Pilate. And see, when you're a prisoner, they don't supply you food or drink or comforts. And there Pilate questioned him. He does not offer him a drink. And there he is, crucified, beaten almost to death. Certainly no drink. In fact, as he was carrying his cross, they offered him a drink. They offered him a drink, wine mixed with myrrh, which is different with what they offered him right now. See, wine mixed with myrrh was a pain sedative. Jesus refused that drink because he didn't thirst in that moment. Oh, he should have. You and I would have physically thirsted, but Jesus didn't thirst. 
But here it is, after three hours on the cross, not allowed those other moments. I can't go about a half hour without having a drink. Jesus finally says, after three hours on the cross, moments before his death, I thirst. Do you think he needs a drink? Do you think he needs the water to satisfy? He knows it's almost over. There is an emotional torment on his soul. The Proverbs 17.22 talks about this emotional torment manifesting itself physically. A joyful, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Lamentations 1.12-13 It is nothing to you, all who pass by, Look and see if there's any sorrow like any sorrow which is brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones. It made it descend. He spread a net from my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint, all the day long. Here it is, the wrath of God in Lamentations wilts the emotional being of the person and physically manifests itself. Psalm 42, 1-3, As a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been made food day and night, when they should say to me all day long, where is your God? You can hear Jesus on this right. Here it is, separated from the Father in a mystery we, we do not understand. This emotional torment of being separated. And he's saying, I thirst for my Father. For the first time and for the only time, I thirst. Where are you? Why have you forsaken me? He knows the answer to those questions. His soul thirsts for the Father. What do you thirst? What is your soul longing for? God has made you. God alone has made you. And God alone is the one that can satisfy that thirst in you. God alone is the living stream, the author and creator and sustainer and redeemer of all life. And God alone can give you that living spirit in you, His living spirit that wells up that water of everlasting. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the living water? Will you come before God? Will you come before Jesus, the one who says and the one who invites you, come to me, all who labor and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Or will you cling to the vanity and temporal desires of this world? Constantly searching, constantly seeking to be fulfilled and to be satisfied, only to be left wanting, to left parched and faint. What are you thirsting for? Are you thirsting for God? Are you thirsting for alone what will satisfy your heart? What your soul was designed for? Let your soul suffer no longer. Believe in Him. 
today. Satisfy that thirst. Why does Jesus say, I thirst? He says it as, a, as an expression, as a, a deep understanding of, of the, the pain and the emotional torment that he's in, this abandonment that he's in. And Jesus says, I thirst, is an expression of love for God's word, for the Holy Scripture, for the Bible. John 19, 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all had been fulfilled, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. Jesus was no stranger to Scripture. Quite the opposite, right? He is the author of all Scripture. He is God Himself. He knows these words inside and out. But as the God-man, and as He reside down here, He spent His lifetime on earth soaking and dwelling in the Word of God, meditating on God's Word. He's a Psalm 1 kind of guy. Right? He delights in his law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's dwelling in God's words. And Jesus' response to Satan at this temptation in Matthew 4, 4, how does he respond? He answers him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He knows what satisfies his thirst. He knows what satisfies his soul. Knowing all things accomplished here, Jesus declares that he thirsts. Knowing all things are accomplished, he knows that it's about over, that his life is about over, that he's going to die, that the mission of God is accomplished at the cross. Knowing this, Jesus in the last moment speaks, I thirst, so that the soldiers would hear him. So that the soldiers would give him something. So that he would fulfill what the scriptures said. What the prophecy said about the Messiah. In Psalm 69, 21. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. His thirst is to fulfill the prophecy of scripture. Is to fulfill God's word. And that he dwells in. Uh, Hear the rest of this psalm, this Psalm 69, which is this messianic psalm. Psalm, uh, Verse 2, I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. This emotional reaction, this, this, this death that comes over you just as the flood wiped out the earth in Noah's time. Psalm 69, 4, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. I mean, there it is. That describes what's happening to Jesus right now. Right? Everyone hates him. Think about the people that don't follow, don't love Jesus. They're either with Jesus or they're against Jesus. You either love him or hate him. And why do people hate him? Ask him. Why don't you follow Jesus? Ask them. There aren't very good reasons. There aren't very good reasons to reciprocate that love. And what he did not do, he must now restore. He did not sin, and yet he is going to restore all sin. Verses 7 through 8. For it is for your sake I have borne reproach that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien 
to my mother's sons. All have abandoned Jesus. Verses 11 to 12. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those that sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. He is a laughingstock. He is mocked. And verses 17 through 20. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Don't draw near, draw, draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, I found none. And then the 21, they gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Sour wine it is not wine that actually satisfies. It actually is not wine that quenches your thirst. It actually is wine that ordinarily prolongs the suffering. It mocks the direness of the situation. In this moment, in this moment, Jesus reveals the love of his Father, his love for the Word of God, and lets that love lets him remember there is one scripture yet to be fulfilled, and so he utters, utters, I thirst. I thirst to put into actions the soldiers in motion, to make that prophecy fulfilled. I thirst is a creative word that puts the motion, the final fulfillment on the cross. This is not just love for you and I. This is a deep and passionate love for God's truth and God's words and God's promises. And there's one more fulfillment that happens here in verse 29, John 19, 29. It's just not the fulfillment of Psalm 69. Hear it clearly. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Very specific. They could have said just a branch or they gave it to offer to him, but they said a hyssop branch. Where else is a hyssop branch used? It's used at the Passover. It's used at the final plague as God instructed the Israelites. He says, I'm going to free you from Egypt. Slaughter a perfect lamb. Cook it. Consume it all. And then take the blood of that lamb. Use a hyssop branch and take it and wipe it over the lintel of the door. So when the destroyer comes, he will pass by. That blood will protect them. Protect them from the wrath of God. Exodus 12, 22. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. Jesus is the Passover lamb. All, the, all that Passover was a, a prelude to the real Passover at the cross. It is through the last and complete perfect sacrifice of Jesus that he frees us, not just from Egyptians, not just from human slavery, but from our sins, that which really enslaves us. 
that which actually separates us from God. When we trust in Him, when we are covered in His blood, then we are united in His death, and God's wrath passes over us, and His righteousness we share in. What do you dwell in? In your tough circumstance, in any circumstance, what do you dwell in? In your isolation in this moment, what are you dwelling on? What do you love? What satisfies you? What never disappoints? I can tell you it's not Netflix. It's not Disney+. Plus. It's only the Word of God. That which our Savior dwelled in. That which our Savior was passionate about. That which He loved. How are you dwelling in Scripture in this moment? Now is the time to dwell. Now is the time to reprioritize, to change our practices, to spend extra time, to meditate day and night on God and His Word, to, to be in that relationship. Don't neglect this gift that God has given you. I have, we put on the website a, a, a way to do it. There's lots of ways. Just open up your Bible and read it yourself. Open, open up your cell phone on that. But there's this app that we're giving you, Dwell app, free for 60 days. It's a scripture, listen, reimagine. They have eight different ways people are speaking to you. You can pick a different one. You can change them on the fly. I really encourage you. How I've been doing this in this time is I've been putting my reading verses up, and then I, I read it, and then I listen to the person read it to me because that's the only way I can learn. I need to see it and hear it. And just the pace and the way they speak is just different than the way I speak. And it, it informs me anew of God's Word. It gives me a new passion, a new love for God's Word. Even as I'm in the book of Leviticus, there is something new and exciting about it. Cultivate a habit of listening right now, of reading and dwelling in the sweetness of God's Word. Satisfy your thirst with His Word. Why does Jesus say, I thirst? He says it to show the, the intensity of his suffering. He shows it to show the, his passion and expressing of God's word, the fulfillment of his promises. And third, he says, I thirst is the final act of obedience on the cross. John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Jesus is God. Make no mistake about that. He could have used his omnipotence, his all power, to pull himself off that cross. He could have satisfied every need of his and be with the Father forever and ever and not bear that wrath in the moment. But Jesus lived a life in perfect submission to the Father's will. Jesus, the eternal Son, is always in perfect submission to the Father's will. This isn't a blind obedience. He knows the Father's plan. He knows it from the beginning of his life, that this is what God has in store for him. This is what the Father has in store for him. This isn't obedience out of fear of punishment. This is obedience out of love. His love for the Father and knowing the goodness of the Father, the goodness of this plan. And what's not an easy plan but he models obedience to the rest of us. 
John 34 says this. My food, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Part of the satisfaction of Jesus' thirst is accomplishing the Father's will. He thirsts to do the Father's will. It brings him satisfaction. It nourishes him. Being on the cross is nourishing to Jesus because it is the Father's will. He knows all is finished in this moment. He knows moments away that this will be over. Jesus came to do the Father's will, to submit, to serve the Father. And here's the thing, right? This is the, this is the golden rule. The way he serves the Father is he does it He's serving us because the cross is serving us, taking our punishment that we deserve. Jesus is content in this suffering. Jesus is satisfied in this suffering because it's the Father's will. We're usually not satisfied or content in our suffering. Will you be a servant of God? Are you eager to obey? Are you nourished and content with mere obedience, no matter your circumstances? Do you and I have the grace to say, as Jesus says in the garden, as he asked the Father, can there be a different plan? And then he says, not my will, but yours be done. Because he knows that's what satisfies the Father's will. This is our calling to follow Jesus, to follow him in obedience all the way to the cross. And Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your life and obey the Father's plan all the way, no matter your circumstance. Because Jesus understands that this is what satisfies. This is what nourishes you. Will you be content? Will you be satisfied in the Father's plan for you? Jesus is the embodiment of Philippians 4, 11 through 13, where it says, Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Jesus knows he can endure the cross because the Father is going to strengthen him and because it nourishes him to do the Father's will. He is content on this terrible cross because he knows he can do all things through the Father. Are you content in your circumstance? Are you content with the ordinary, everyday circumstance that you're in? Or are you thirsty after your own will? Or are you thirsting after the will of someone else or the will of the world? So why does Jesus say, I thirst on the cross? If he is the one that satisfies, why does he say, 
Why does he say, I thirst? He says it to show the intensity of his suffering. He shows it to show the, the intensity of the expression of his love for God's word. And he shows it as the final, says it as the final act of obedience on the cross. Why do you and I thirst? What do you and I desire? Matthew 5, 6 is a clear promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. For they shall be satisfied. That is a promise. You will be satisfied if you hunger and thirst. Just as it was a promise at the woman at the well, your thirst will be quenched. Ask me and I will give it. Thirst after Christ, the living water. Thirst after His righteousness which he freely gives to us at the cross. You will be satisfied. Lord, give us this drink. Lord, give us, give us this, this thirst-quenching drink. Thank you for giving us yourself. Thank you for giving us yourself at the cross. Help us to be satisfied in you alone so we will never thirst again. Let us pray.